We're in Romans chapter 8. Of course, that is no surprise to anyone, is it? Thank you, Daniel. Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to back up. I want to I look at verse 28 this morning and kind of get into verse 29 slightly, maybe even pick up at verse 27 a little bit. In other words, I want to try to keep Romans 8.28 within its context, but I also want to back up for context all the way back to verse 18 of Romans chapter 8 and then read that to you and then I'll have, uh, we'll, we'll look a little bit more in depth in Romans chapter 8 verse 28. So I'm going to read to you from uh, the New American Standard uh, 2020 edition and beginning in verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only that, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves within uh, excuse me, even we ourselves groan, I was, I was correct, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he has already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see through perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Now the same, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And these whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So, Father, we pray that you would give us an understanding of your word this morning. Help us to, to uh, grasp the context of what we are looking at. We pray, Lord, that your, your spirit would illuminate your word, that it would uh, be applied to our hearts. Or as Paul said to Timothy, that the word would be engrafted into our very souls. So we pray, Lord, that, that you would have this time to transform us. 
by your spirit, through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. This is a favorite verse of a lot of people, isn't it? It's one of my favorite verses. Romans 8, 28, that is, that all things work together. Or that we know that God causes all things to work together. Uh, it's an interesting verse because it's one of those verses that well-meaning but insensitive people will play from time to time. Uh, when someone else is going through difficulty... And, and they will tell you that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Now, I just read that from the New King James. Let me read it to you again from the New American Standard. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Do you see the difference? The first, I'll read the New King James again. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. I just read the first part. There's some variation, not so much in the two texts that they, that they have used to translate, as there is, there is variation based on the grammatical structure of this verse. So I just want to make you aware of that ahead of that, uh, ahead of time. Uh, because I, I do think, as the New American Standard says, we know that God causes all things. To work together for good. It is God who is the agent. It is God that is the causation. If, if you read the New King James completely literally, you would say things all work together for good. And, and, and you've heard that, that sense of optimism before. Oh, things work together for good. You know, they don't. They don't. Tell that to the persecuted church. Are things working together for good? Um, the, things don't work together for good. God causes all things to work together for good. There's a huge difference. And it's, uh, like I said, it's, it's used sometimes when, when someone is attempting to want to uh, speak encouragement into the life of someone who's suffering, and they'll say, well, you know, God causes all things, or all things work together for good, or, or they, will, they will quote it in such a way or refer to it in such a way. And... and uh, at times I've had people tell me that. It's rare that people tell me that when I'm going through difficulty. And that's when I'm glad I have a very big Bible because I want to hit them with it uh, because of their, their, really their lack of sensitivity. Uh, but is this passage true? Yes, it is true. But when you are in the middle of your tribulation, does it feel that way? No. Although James will, here's another one. Count it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and when patience has, uh, has its complete work, you will be perfect and lack nothing. Is that true? Absolutely it is true. The problem is, is the process of getting to the end of that sentence. The end of that verse. Complete and lacking nothing. It's a long road to get there. I don't know anybody. I know, my, I know I haven't gotten there. I don't know anybody who's gotten there in, in completeness. Maybe in little bits and pieces of different attributes of our life, yes. But 
what, what you have here in this passage, because, and, and I went back to verse 18 on purpose because he's talking, actually I probably should have gone to verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. The context here is suffering. The context here is, is, inter, is intercessory prayer from, uh, uh, from the Holy Spirit, intercessory prayer from creation that he personifies, and the groanings that you and I experience in our prayer life as we walk through our lives. And in that regard, the Spirit helps with our weaknesses because we do not know what to pray. So the Spirit intercedes with groanings that are too deep for words. And it says, He who searches the heart, uh, uh, the hearts and knows what the mind of the Spirit is, that is, the Father who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He, the Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So because the Holy Spirit intercedes for you and I according to the will of God, therefore we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. We know that. Again, it's the process of getting to that place, of, re uh, of living that place, actually realizing that place, not in our minds, but actually living that place. In other words, when you have gone through the trial, that is so difficult and so hard to hang on to. Because, I, and I've talked with people, and I, I've felt this way myself at times, but, but you, you, I've talked to people who said, you know, I, I don't really mind going through trials, I just want to know why. Now, I understand that. I do, I, I, I really do. I understand that I think, I think that's, that's basic human nature. Did Job want to know why? I think Job wanted to know why. He went through incredible suffering, did he not? Was he ever told why? Have you read the book? Has he ever, was he told why? No, he was never told why. I found that to be fascinating. Did God restore it to him? Yes. But he lost several children along the way. And no doubt he missed them. No doubt he had, a, he had a broken heart for them. I don't know what he did with his wife. He said, curse God and die. I don't know whatever happened to that relationship. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he's never told why. He went through incredible suffering. Paul had a thorn in the flesh in 2 Thessalonians, uh, not 2 Thessalonians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He has a thorn in the flesh. Is he told why? Yes, he is. Yes, he was. So that... My grace would be sufficient for you because he had this experience where he believes that it sounds like he went into, in, into the presence of God. He went into the spiritual realm. He went into heaven. And, 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 and it, it was a thorn in the flesh from Satan to the, the old King James. I think the new King James uses the same word to buffet him. In other words, to keep him from becoming too prideful. He uses uh, terms like my, uh, pride above measure. So he, he receives 
this thorn in the flesh. He's told why, but we never have a record of him being delivered of it. I'd almost think I would rather be not be told why and, and get restoration. You know, I mean, doesn't that make sense? He's told why, but we're never told that he's delivered of the thorn in the flesh. He went, it, it appears that he probably went and fit, it, to his grave uh, with the thorn in the flesh. But we, we have the, these groanings of creation, groanings of ourselves. Verse 24, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is not seen uh, uh, is not hope. Uh, but we hope for what we, verse 25, we hope for what we do not see, and through perseverance we eagerly wait for it. So the groanings are, 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 uh, of our souls are the, uh, the expressions of our hope, of our, of our hope, our perseverance to eagerly wait for the redemption of the body. I talked about this, I think it was last week I talked about this. And so the groanings of the Holy Spirit are the groanings of hope. That God will work all things together. Because those who he foreknow, he also chose. And so then the Spirit intercedes. We have the hope of the redemption of body, the Spirit interceding, God working together everything in our life for good because we, he foreknew us and he chose us to be conformed to the image of Christ, which is a little, we're going to get into that a little bit on Wednesday. Um, it's a difficult passage. Okay, I'll just say that for now. This passage is difficult. You know, again, the difference in the translation between the, the New American Standard and the New King James. Now, translators do take some liberty, right? I've told you that. Okay, they do take some liberty. Um, but the grammar in verse 28 allows them to do so. And different manuscripts allow them to do so. So I, I think I don't have any problem with the, uh, with the difference or the variance between the two versions because I know that it is God who causes all things uh, For good. Because things left to themselves, left to their own devices, don't always work out real well, do they? I mean, what about the law of entropy? Where, th where things naturally do what? Do they get better? No, they decay. You know? Some of our equipment is starting to experience entropy, isn't it, this morning? And had to do some resetting and some... We had two pieces that are going... Yeah, so anyway, entropy, you know... Things don't work out just by themselves. And how many times have I heard people, when, when, when they're in a difficult situation, how they, they start to express that? And I, and, and, I, and I think perhaps it is that maybe they have not thought through their hope deep enough. Maybe they have not groaned deep enough. And in verse 29, when it says we're predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. That's not talking about salvation, by the way. 
Now, you have to be saved to be conformed to the image of his son, correct? So you could say, well, yeah, it implies it. Yes, it does, okay? But when it talks about being conformed to the image of the son of God, what is it talking about? It's talking about our sanctification. And how are we sanctified? are we sanctified? Different ways, yes. But how are we sanctified? One way of our sanctification is in the trials that we experience. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word, the psalmist says. And it tells us here in verse 28 that we know, it's in the perfect tense, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Perfect tense. Perfect tense is an action that is completed. It happened in the past, but the emphasis is on the current state of affairs based on what you did in the past. Based on your trusting Christ by faith, you knew then, now you know and, 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 and your life goes forward in the knowledge of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. That's, that's what it's really referring to here. The, the example is, uh, another uh, example of the perfect tense is when we came in this morning, uh, ev eventually we turned on the lights. You're able to see in here a little bit better and see your Bible's probably a little bit better because... When we walked in sometime before 9, we turned the lights on. So, so the idea that the light is talking about, as a matter of fact, that was not on. If you want to turn it on, why don't we do that? I just realized it. But um, Thanks, Bill. Um, but that's kind of the idea of the perfect tense, something that happened in, in the past, but the emphasis is on the current state of affairs or the, the result of what you did, or the current status of what's going on in your life. We know that all things. Now, this word all things uh, really refers to uh, in totality. Everything in totality. But it's in totality, but this is interesting about this word. In totality, but with a focus on the individual components. Understand what that means? For instance, we are Calvary Church. That's who we are in totality. But if we are going to focus on the individual people who are a part of Calvary Church, then we would focus on Daniel or Guy or, or Tim. or can't, can't leave Jeannie out of this one. Anyway, uh, Jeannie, right? But, um, and so that's, that's what this is referring to. So it... it this idea of, of all things is based on a sense of awareness of what God is doing. Do you pay attention to the things that God is doing in your life? Most of the time, okay? We'll give you that, okay? You probably do most of the time. Uh, and, I, I, and I'm not going to go into details on this, but just as an example talking with a friend recently and, and uh, telling them about some things in, in, in the past, church experience. 
And I heard the still small voice telling me that I was in a cultic environment. Not a cult, but a cultic environment. And that I was not in a healthy church. And I, and, and I, and I overlooked, and I, I, but I wanted to be a part of this church so bad, so I overlooked, and I overlooked, and I overlooked, and I overlooked, and finally I could overlook no more. And, and I felt that it, that it was necessary to leave. But, but I, I saw those, those warning signs, right? The red flags, right? Um, trying to pay attention to each individual component. Because in you, while you pay attention to every each individual component, it is recognizing that God is at work in all of the circumstances of your life. God is at work in all of the circumstances of your life. Do you, do you, do you recognize that? In, in the lights that change, right, as you're driving. Uh, maybe some of you I shouldn't go there. Um, where you live, the neighbors you have, the neighbors you used to have that you wish you still had, or the places you wish you still lived in. God is at work in all of these circumstances. And he's looking to work these things together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, all things for good. There's some different views on what this is talking about. When I think of the good, well, maybe I shouldn't tell you what I think when I think of the good. When I think of the good, I usually think of something better than I currently am experiencing. God's good for me, right? The goodness of God. You know, it, 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 then it becomes this, this thing that's elusive because it's, it's always slightly out of reach. It's always slightly out of reach. And, and I, I, I think we don't always have a good understanding of what this is talking about when it's talking about God uh, is, is working all things for good. Uh, and, and it, may, it may not necessarily what we think is best. But I believe what this is talking about here is, is when God's working all things to good, it's talking about conformity into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Again, we see it in verse 29, predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Now, let me ask you a question that it, the answer is obvious. Is there anything better than that? Is there anything better than being conformed in the image of Jesus Christ? Because if there is, why are we here? All right? We understand that intellectually. But to live that 
more so to open ourselves up for that. Life makes it very cloudy, doesn't it? And very convoluted. And we start to define what conformity into the image of Jesus Christ really is. And, I, I don't know, and I've been thinking about this some lately. It's like, I, I can't wait to get back in one of the Gospels. I mean, I've, I've taught on all four of them. Um, I, or when I'm done in Romans, I really, in, in a year from, yeah, in about a year from now, I, I can't wait to get back in one of the Gospels. And may, maybe back in the Gospel of John again. I love that Gospel, right? You, you with me, Ken? All right. So I got the Ken Perky stamp of approval on that one. That's good. But because when you read the Gospels, there are times in certain passages I read the Gospels and I read what Jesus says and I read what Jesus does and I read what Jesus teaches and it's like, wow. Do I have to be like that? Ever think that when you read the Gospels? Wow, he was so godly. Well, of course he was. He's God, right? But it's so antithetical to how we as humans think. But that's the good. Predestined to be conformed in the image of his son. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 tells us, In him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will. It's kind of a parallel passage to what we're looking at here in Romans 8. We never do get too far from Ephesians, do we, John? Yeah, it's, it's, there's always something there to, to speak into what we're looking at. So God is at work for those who love God. God is at work for those who love God. Two phrases, God at work, those who love God. Now, I'm bringing this to your attention because they're both in the present tense. Not the perfect tense that I talked about earlier, but they are in the present tense. The writer is using this tense to portray an action that is in the process or a state of being with no assessment of the completion. Kind of like when you are, uh, you, you are driving your car, that is perfect tense. You are in the process of going somewhere. And depending on how you structure your sentence, once you arrive at your destination, it's either becomes, it becomes uh, perfect tense or even errorless tense. Follow me? Okay. It's either now I have arrived, I've driven, now I'm here, here's the result of my trip here, now, I, now, I'm, now I'm here at church, right? But this is a present tense. In other words, it's talking about an ongoing commitment, an ongoing action, uh, something that you do and you do regularly. God works, you love God. God does the work, you love God. All the time. 
It is a process. Now, is it hard to love God sometimes? You ever get mad at God? Maybe you should. Try it. <laughs> Seriously. Because he's big enough to take it. But yeah, on Sunday morning, of course we love God. We want, we, but, but what does it mean to love God? I love God. How do I love God? How do I demonstrate love? God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Has he asked you to do the same? He has. If any man come after me, let him take up his cross daily, deny himself, and follow me. All the time, present tense, in the process, no assessment of completion of that action. It is a continuous action. God is working. We are loving him. And put in the context of the call of discipleship in Luke 9 that I just referred to, taking up your cross daily, denying yourself and following him. Putting that in the context of what it means to love him, it really means, if, I, if I'm going to be honest with myself, it means that loving God is a whole lot harder than I thought it was. Now, I'm not saying you don't love God. I'm not trying to convince you that you don't love God. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just bringing this out because I'm saying, let's look at this and really understand and count the cost of what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a follower of Christ. Because this idea of taking up my cross daily, denying myself, is not appealing to me. And I don't know anybody that it is appealing. I saw some of the looks on your faces. You're like, you're right, it isn't. But God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, he dies for us. Now do you see why we need the Holy Spirit to groan on our behalf? Because this stuff is difficult. You got, are, you, are you catching this this morning? It's like, man, I need the Holy Spirit in my corner to, to just to groan for us. I, I was in a class on Thursday and... <laughs> The professor called me out and asked me to pray for the class. And it was, it was uh, you know, we, we studied part of this on Wednesday night. And, and one of my first thoughts was a shotgun prayer. I was like, God, I thank you that you're groaning here for all of us here. And so I just prayed over the class, and the and, and, uh, professor started weeping. It was, it was, yeah, it was just one of those moments. Um, but... Uh, To me, it is so comforting to know that I have the Holy Spirit groaning on, when making utterances that for me that are not understood. Too deep for words. Too deep for words means I'm not going to intellectualize it. I'm just going to pour it out with my heart. Because I know that the call of discipleship in my life is difficult at times. 
And at times, there's the battle between the flesh and the spirit that we already looked at in Romans chapter 7. See, everything that was written before is still foundational to what we're looking at right here this morning. But it works together. All things work together. It, it, it refers to this word synergio, which refers to engaging in an activity together with someone else. Synergy, that's where the word comes from. Engaging in an activity together with someone else. All things work together. Engaging in an activity together with someone else. God is doing the work. But we have to engage in the activity that he's doing in our life. I'm going to go here, but please don't feel like I'm picking on you, okay? I, I would, uh, I'm not picking on the theology of a pre-trib rapture, but I'm going to use it as an example, all right? I, I talked to a friend of mine a week and a half ago or so on the phone, and, and I'm listening to him describe, tell me about some things that are going on, and it was an interesting conversation because I just felt like, wow, this is an opportunity for you to really stop and listen to what God is trying to show you. Now, I didn't tell him this, all right? And I don't, I don't want to get too into details. I don't think he's listening anyway. Uh, but, but, but he was telling me about a circumstance, and it's like, wow, this is really an opportunity for you to further be conformed in the image of Jesus Christ in the difficulty and trial he's going through. But that was not his focus. He didn't want to be conformed in the image of Christ. He didn't want to take up his cross daily and deny himself and follow Jesus. He just says, well, I, I just, I'll just opt to get out of here. I'll just opt for the ticket out of here. We should just get raptured out of here. Uh, which opened up, if you know me and my theology, that opened up a very interesting conversation. God did not call us to take up our cross daily to deny ourselves and to follow Jesus with the escape hatch in mind, guys. He called us to synergio, to work together with the work of God in conforming us into the image of Christ. Therefore, and how does that happen? I got to show up. Emotionally, spiritually, mentally, sometimes physically. And I've got to submit to what it is that God is doing in my life. And I've got to give room for the Holy Spirit to, to change things in my life. Which means I will have to experience things I don't want to hear. I will have to hear or don't want to, don't want to experience. I will have to hear things that I don't necessarily want to hear. And I will have to do things that I don't necessarily want to do. 
But that's how we work together with God. Sinner J.O., all things working together. You just don't go to bed one night, wake up the next morning more sanctified. Gosh, I wish that was true. I'd, I'd sign up for that. I really would. God does the work. Because this is a supernatural work. This is a work of the Spirit. This is not a work of the flesh. This is a work of the Spirit who groans in, 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 in words that are too deep, to, or, or in groanings too deep for words. This is a work of the Spirit who groans for us as we groan, as creation groans. And so, really, if you, if you look at this passage, it's really talking about this incredible effort that's taking place in our lives, God participating in that to conform us into the image of Christ. That's the more I looked at this passage from 18 on, it's like there's an incredible, incredible amount of hard work taking place here. For those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Purpose in the Greek here. That which is planned in advance. The idea or the forethought that God had about presenting us full complete and lacking nothing as the book of James talked about. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He already has that vision of our completeness in his mind. That vision that I think that full completeness is not going to be realized in our lives until we stand before Jesus. But that tells me that what takes place here on earth is incredibly important in our sanctification. Incredibly important. We suffer, we hope, we groan. The Spirit of God uh, intercedes for us in a way that we cannot even intercede for ourselves. And, and he intercedes for us according to the will of God. And because of that, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Amen.